be with you here today. I'm going to talk about a story, the true tall tale of the coming of Jesus. Um, you know, it's a funny way to start a story with a long list of names, but that's what we're going to be reading here together uh, as we're looking at Matthew 1 in just a minute. But it's, it's a strange way a strange way to start a story with a long list of names. I can remember as, as a little kid uh, being, I'll just have to say dragged, dragged along uh, by my parents as they were doing genealogy research and trying to figure out you know, the ancestral tree and where they came from and whose name was this and this connection, this connection. They would take my brother and I off into the rural hinterlands in, in uh, central Virginia Sometimes to cemeteries and in these wooded areas with pieces of paper and crayons and do, do the rubbings, do the rubbings. I don't know if how many of you have done that, that sort of thing. And um, frankly, it just creeped me out uh, that, that we were doing that. And, and I had, of course, no interest in it, in it whatsoever at the time as, as a small child. Uh, I have a little bit more interest uh, in, it, in it now as a larger child, but... Um, Still, still probably not quite the same level of appreciation as my, as my folks did. Um, our impression oftentimes when we're reading through the Bible, this, Matthew 1 is not the only time that you find genealogies, long lists of names. If you look in Luke's gospel, you see the same thing in terms of, of, a, of a genealogy of a family tree for Jesus with a slightly different focus. But several times in the Old Testament, you see this sort of thing. In fact, I was even talking to somebody even just this past week in their Bible reading. They were finding themselves, I think it was somewhere in Chronicles, and they were just kind of like, Jesus, forgive me, I just can't read this. And, um, and, and, I, and I get that. I get that because for many of us, those list of names seem dry, boring, unimportant. We just kind of want to fly by and get on to the good stuff, right? Um, in the ancient Near East, though, we need to understand the, the, the culture and the history from which these names and these, these lists of names uh, come. In, in, that, in that time, uh, a list of names like we're going to read here in just a minute would prove some things. They would demonstrate some things. They would, uh, they would, make, they would clarify. Uh, they were intended to clarify a person's identity. They were uh, meant to make clear, to prove their, their, uh, their heritage, their lineage, to demonstrate their credentials. Uh, it wasn't just slapped on there to fill space. There was a point behind it. And that's exactly what we have here. There's a point behind it in terms of demonstrating the credentials and clarifying the identity and, and proving the lineage. It means something. Chris Nussbaumer was telling me even during moments ago, during that time where we were chatting and greeting one another, uh, of, a, of a gentleman that he met, an Orthodox Jew, who came to faith through the reading of Matthew 1. Okay? Uh, so we're pressing on in this little Advent series in the opening salvo of Matthew's gospel. Uh, Will had us in the second half of Matthew 1. We're jumping backwards here now. Uh, into the first half of Matthew 1 this morning. Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17. If you've got a Bible, I encourage you to turn there now with me. If you're trying to find it, it couldn't be easier. It's the first book of the New Testament, the first chapter of the New Testament, uh, and the opening section of that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels. We're starting with Matthew. Matthew 1, verses 1 through 17. Hear now God's Word. 
the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the wife of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the de deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So, all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Can we pray for a minute? Lord Jesus, we read this line of names, and it is a very different, as similar as it might be to any other genealogy, to any other family tree, there's such a difference here. Uh, we read our family trees really with sort of an intention of just trying to figure out how did we get here, uh, almost by, by accident and happenstance just because of our connections to the parties before us, whereas with this story, with this genealogy, with this tracing, it's a plan unfolding uh, from start to finish with great intentionality, uh, echoing all over this uh, significance that we find uh, in so many ways to your story, your genealogy that tells us so much of why you came and what Christmas is for and the hope that we can have because of it. Uh, we ask that you would please help us, help us, oh please help us, would you be merciful to us here this morning to, to understand and to grapple with and to know indeed we are understood and you are grappling with us. Uh, even here this morning, would you give us ears with which to hear? And then would you uh, move our hearts and our hands and our feet uh, from this day forward in cadence with your own? We pray in your name. Amen. 
So the story is told, fictional, of a man at a Christmas party uh, who uh, meets a woman there, a guest of one of the other attendees, and he is completely smitten, just first sight, smitten by the sight of her, and uh, he wants to meet her. And so not thinking, he approaches her and just blurts out this really clumsy question, but this is what he asks her. He says, could you tell me what kind of men you like? She's taken back by this directness, but nonetheless decides to engage him. And this is her answer. I love American Indian men. They are mysterious. I love their lineage and their bond to nature. They are majestic with such history. But as I think about it, I also deeply appreciate those of the Jewish heritage. They have led an enormous legacy of endurance under trial, tradition, and courage. And you know, being from the South, I like the Southern redneck. He's so basic and not complex, so gutsy and direct. And then she finally says, by the way, what's your name? And the man, thinking finally on his feet, says, Tonto Rosenberg, but my friends call me Bubba Joe. Introductions are important. That's the point. You were wondering what's the point. Introductions are important. And we have an introduction here in this text. Quite an introduction. As I said earlier, this would have resonated with Matthew's readers there in the middle, latter middle part of the first century. It would have deeply resonated with them in terms of what is this lineage and what is this person's identity and, and what are his his credentials. And just apart from this being a, a part of the Word of God, simply because of that, it, we know it would have resonated and did resonate with Matthew's first readers. We ought to then take as a, as a conclusion from that, we dare not skip this. We ne dare not just fly over this. Every one of, I've heard one author put it this way, every one of these names, in fact, is a hyperlink going back into the Old Testament, in some cases, deep stuff profound stuff into the Old Testament, or some of the groupings that we'll get into here in the next few minutes. It's so much to be found here. We dare not just skip over this. This would have, and it did, deeply resonate with Matthew's readers. And when we understand something of its significance, it, it will resonate with us to the degree that it, 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 we are grappling with this and we understand the significance of what we're seeing here, it will resonate with us. I was just thinking about this as we were singing, and I hope I can, this will make some bit of sense. You know, a, a lot of what's driving, uh, as economists will, will tell you, uh, inflation today uh, has to do with the supply-demand thing. You may remember that from whatever economics courses you, you took in the, in the day. And, and uh, those laws, those rules still do apply. And we've got supply chain issues, right? And so with lack of supply, that has a way of inflating, driving up prices. I, I wonder to what degree we suffer in a heart sense from a supply chain issue. But in this case, it's not so much an inflation, but deflation, deflation of our hearts. So if you find yourself flat in this Christmas season, yeah, you see the red. Yeah, you see the green. Yeah, you're wearing a tie. And you're just, you're just, it's not doing it for you. It's not connecting with you. May the Lord bless this time together in his word 
to help us to see who this Jesus is and why it is that he's come and who it is that he's come for. Because that's exactly what we see here in this passage. Really, just to put it this way, as we take to heart the significance of Jesus' beginnings, as we take to heart the significance of Jesus' beginnings, it can give us the new beginning that we long and were made for. As we take to heart the significance of Jesus' beginnings, it can give us the new beginnings we were made and longed for. Or if I could just put it this way, his beginnings, the story, the true story of his beginnings can bring about our own. How so? Already said it. Three ways. We're going to get delve into this. If you've got the outline, this is where we're going. The three points. We see this in the passage, in this genealogy, whether explicitly or implicitly, we learn something of these three, the answers to these three questions, huge questions. First, who has come? As we, as we see here in this passage, who has come? It's answering that. Secondly, why has he come? It does speak to that. And also, for whom? For whom has he come? How far does that go? Who is included? So we have a, a who, a why, and a for whom. So let's delve into this over the next few minutes if we can. So first, who has come? Who, who is this? What is his identity? What, what is the significance of that? What do we learn from that? Well, right from the start, we see it in verse 1. He's described three ways. Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, those three, each of them, are incredibly weighty. First, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. His name, Jesus, Yeshua, in the first century. Uh, this was a common name at the time. Very common. Everyday, normal name. As much as John or Bob would be for us today. Okay, But literally, his name does mean Yahweh, the Lord, saves. That's what his very name means. The Lord saves. Christ. That's not his last name. Okay? That's a title. It, it, it's, it's akin to, it's, it's direct out of, of the Old Testament, the Hebrew, the Aramaic, Messiah. Anointed one. One who has been set apart, equipped, ordained for a special purpose of God. Jesus Christ. Okay, so right there, right there we're learning something of who this is who has come. What his name is and his title. Go a little further. Son of David. Son of David. Now, David is, gets emphasis all through this genealogy. I don't know how, how you, surely you picked up on it just by reputation. Verse 6, it's interesting when you look at that. You see that David is not referred to as, uh, you see, Jesse, the father of David, not a king, but the king. It's an interesting way to refer to him, given the number of kings that are being referred to in this genealogy. But David is referred to as immediately as the king. King, uh, you may have picked up when we got to the end there, verse 17, there, this uh, genealogy is crafted in such a way, it's constructed of three groupings of 14 names. David, now you wouldn't know this, except unless you understood Hebrew numeric systems, but the letters had numerical values, okay? And David 
adds up to the number 14 when you put the, pull the letters together. And David, in order of the genealogy, is the 14th in the list. Now, this would have been, and not so much us English folks, you know, uh, North American 21st century people today, but for, again, for Matthew's readers, this is, this is huge stuff. Noticing these kinds of things. David is it's just accentuated and a great emphasis placed on his place. So, okay, well then, son of David, what does that mean? Well, David, we know, you know, if you go back and read through your Old Testament, is the warrior king, the mighty warrior, victorious king of Israel. That's how his, he's known and appreciated by this at this point in, in Israel's history. And there was this ancient prophecy promise made that a son of that king, the son of David, was going to come, a son of David, a descendant from his loins, one day was going to come and restore that kingdom. No one knew how, they just knew the what. It was going to happen. So we have Jesus Christ, son of David. Again, we're just building an importance here. Now we're getting through, not just two dimensions, but three dimensions, son of Abraham. So who's Abraham? Abraham is the, the first and the, really one would say the greatest of the patriarchs. And we know going back to Genesis 12 that the Lord made a promise, made a covenant with Abraham to bless him, yes, but through him, through his line, one was going to come, a, a seed a descendant of Abraham was going to come that would prove to be a blessing to the nations. You get the sense that it's like a chorus, it's like a musical, it's like an orchestra beginning with one note, two notes, three notes. It's building an intensity here. Jesus Christ, son of David, son of Abraham. That's who this is. Any one of those would be stunning and worth noting. The three of them together is staggering. If we can hear it, if we can really, really hear this. If we could slow down enough to really take this in, just with how Jesus is describing his name, the titles, it would make us a people of awe. If, if, if we could pause and, and breathe this and contemplate this, meditate upon who this is, this ancient one, long-awaited, long-promised, now come, now come, 2,100 years in the making from that first Abrahamic promise. It would transform our hearts and make us a people of wonder. Awe and wonder. We, we ask the question, rightfully so, especially if you're preparing the dinner. Who's coming for Christmas? It might benefit us a little more in a more profound way to ask this question. Who came for Christmas and kicked all that off to make it possible? Who, I'm not going to say was, mm -mm, who is, who is he who came? Who came? Just, if you can, just try it. Close your eyes. Let's do this thought experiment with me. Close your eyes and imagine, just for a moment, just, just I'm not going to freak you out. Nobody's going to pick your pocket. Just close your eyes for, for a minute. Just try and envision for a moment here in your seat the most glorious 
sunrise you've ever seen, the most majestic mountain vista, the most breathtaking ocean view out over the horizon, the most gorgeous starry night. Try and envision the, the most stunning, staggering feat or achievement or stunning rescue you've ever heard of or witnessed. Now open your eyes. Know that those are but echoes and flickers of who we're talking about now. Those are but pointers to this Jesus who has come, who is the subject of this entire genealogy. So we, just, just to the degree we can take to heart the significance of Jesus' beginnings, it will make us into a people of awe and wonder. Let's go a little further. There's another question that's worth delving into, and that is not just who has come, why has he come? Who, not just who has come, but why has he come? Now, that's, I'll admit, a little more implied here, but it's worth considering none, nonetheless. It's not directly spoken, but it's certainly indirectly when you, when you think about this, and, and in three ways. Uh, first, if you think in terms of, of, of the titles that are, are given, or excuse me, lessons, lessons that we can see here. Lessons, so... How did Isaac show up? Well, think about some of the individuals and how they came to be in this genealogy. So Isaac, the offspring of Abraham and Sarah, right? So we know Abraham's about 100 years old. Sarah's about 90. You don't have to be a genius in biology. You don't have to talk to our good OBGYN in the room, Dr. Stitt, to know that this was an extraordinary thing. The conception of this child, Isaac. Now, that's significant in the flow of time, but that really is meant to point to something even bigger. Coming years later, the miraculous conception of another child, even more so in terms of the heightenedness of the, of the miracle, and that is the child conceived in the womb of Mary. A virgin conception. Unlike any other, there ever has and ever will be. Now, I just ask you, please put on your thinking cap and, and, and think to yourself, ask this question, what might this be telling us? That, that it took a miracle to bring this about. Okay, put that on the shelf. We'll come back to it. Definitely going to come back to it. Let's, okay, so the lessons, the introduction, back to the introduction. We read in the, in the English, the ESV, the book of the genealogy. In the Greek, it could be translated the book of the beginnings. The book of the Genesis is actually how, that's actually the, the word, the Genesis. The book of the Genesis, the book of the beginnings. From the start, Matthew's trying to get our attention to say there's a new beginning here. There's a new beginning happening with the arrival of this Jesus. Something extraordinary is going on. And you just keep on reading to, if I'll put it this way, Jesus' generation. Okay? So verse 16, verse 16 uh, you get the, just the flow of, of so-and-so, the father of so-and-so, so-and-so, the father of so-and-so, so-and-so, the father of so-and-so. You get That's the cadence. That's the rhythm. Then you get down to verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who was called the Christ. The rhythm is broken. The cadence is smashed. 
if the rhythm was going to continue, if the cadence was going to continue, it should have, quote-unquote, should have read, and Joseph, the father of Jesus. But Joseph is mentioned, but not as the father. Mary's mentioned, but as the, of course, as the mother. Joseph is not, there's a broken, something's going on here to get our attention. Again, what's the point? What's the lesson? What is Matthew trying to tell us here in terms of the extraordinary nature of this mission, this purpose, this rescue. What can we infer? What can we learn? One more thing, the titles. Again, who, who is this? It's Jesus, the Lord saves, Christ anointed. Jesus Christ, son of David, son of the king, the one who had to come to restore the kingdom, son of Abraham, the, the, a child of the promise, a mark of the faithfulness of God. What is, what is this telling us? The only way this could come about is by God's saving power. The only way this could come about is, 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 a, is a, the king coming to renew this kingdom. The only way this could come about is by, through the Lord's faithfulness to his promises. Why has Jesus come? Why did it have to be this way? What does this tell us? It tells us about our desperate plight. It tells us about our desperate situation. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, right? Till he appeared. Till he appeared. Why did he come? To befriend the estranged, to heal the sick, to pardon the broken, to free the prisoner, to find the lost, to raise the dead. All of those are images to describe who we are and why he came for us. He came as us for us. He came as us for us. That's the, the lesson of the incarnation, as us for us. Now, to the degree that we take that to heart and realize, oh my gracious, this is who has come and this is why he came and he had to come. He had to come and it had to be this way. Such was the peril of our plight. To the degree that we understand and take that to heart, what does that stir within our hearts? What would be the mark of a people who have embraced such a reality into their being? Humility. Humility. We've got nothing to bring to the table. We've got nothing to bring to the table. And we meet but him at that table. Humility. Not, not so much thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. Thinking of ourselves less. Why is that important to think about here in the Christmas season? I'll just give you a very practical thing in terms of how we go about the celebration of this time, of this time of year. We are bombarded with messages, left, right, center, back, front, over, under, whatever, soaking in this messaging of, this is what you deserve, right? This is what you deserve. This is what you should be getting this holiday season. Or with a slight nuance to it, this is what you should be giving. This is what you should be offering and yielding and, and giving to those around you, being the wonderful person that you are. Do you understand that, strictly speaking, if this is any merit to this genealogy whatsoever, 
You and I don't deserve anything. And we don't have anything to give. Strictly speaking, standing before the Lord, That's not, that's not a plea for you to rescind your Santa list. And that's not an admonition to take back everything that you've already bought. It's just an encouragement to reconsider the spirit in which we're engaging in this season. With a heart of humility. Recognizing who it is who has come and that, that why, why he had to come on this desperate, beautiful, amazing, astonishing rescue mission. But there's one more thing, one more thing. As, as we take the significance of his beginning to heart, it will make us into a people of awe and wonder and humility. But there's one other question, and not, that's not just who has come and why has he come, but one more, and that is for whom? For whom has he come? For whom has he come? And this is where we get into the groupings of people. And understanding this is where some of the hyperlinking comes into play. And understanding some of the backstory to some of the individuals uh, in this is list. Uh, so uh, three groups. And you can see it there in your outline. The outsider, the flawed, and the, the notorious. The outsiders. So let's think about some individuals here who are really just unknowns to us except for their name. It's in the third list, that third grouping of 14. There's a string of names in there. Uh, this is in the, the exile period, and we don't know anything about them other than the fact they're mentioned here in Jesus' genealogy. They're unknowns. These are the unknowns. You have Abiud, Azor, Achim, Eliad, and Mathan. The only place in the Bible we find these people's names is here. Other than that, they are completely unknown to us. Do you ever feel that way? Other than being on a class roster list, nobody knows who you are. There's other, others that are outsiders here. The women, and I don't mean to offend, but it's just a reality in the ancient Near East... In that culture, women were crassly overlooked and had no legal standing. And so it is absolutely stunning that they would be, this is unheard of in genealogies of the time, especially if you're trying to build a case towards the, 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 um, the dignity and, and wonder of someone's identity and, and lineage. It's stunning that any outsider would be Included in this. Most of these women, by the way, are Gentiles, and that's a whole nother thing. Non Jews, non Jews included in this list as, as well. Outsiders, not just outsiders, let's go a little further. Let's push this a little harder. We'll call them the flawed. The flawed. So you've got a lot of, about half of the kings listed here did okay on a curve. Um, they did okay. They're, they're not, you know, just utterly debased and wicked and depraved. They're, you know, they did okay, you know, graded on, on a curve. But even among them, there's a lot of foolishness here in, in the record. I mean, you've got Jehoshaphat, jumping Jehoshaphat, um, who forms an alliance with wicked kings 
wicked empires around him. You've got Hezekiah, who foolishly shows off the treasures of the temple to rulers, pagan rulers of other nations, who then take the happy opportunity, as they're taking notes, to pillage said treasure when that opportunity arose later. Such foolishness on the part of these men. What could even go a little further? Not just foolishness, but pride, insane pride. Uzziah, good king Uzziah, well, on the curve. He, he, he took the role of the priest and said, I'm going to go into the temple and, and I'm going to make sacrifice on the altar. Something completely forbidden by the Lord. So we have outsiders included here. We've got flawed ones including here. You feeling any inclusion yet? We have the notorious, the scandalous. I mentioned half the list of the kings did okay on the curve. <laughs> the other half, not so well. Uh, just horrific stuff that we read. For instance, King Ahaz. Oh, my goodness. Um, his uh, bowing down and not just, not just polytheism, but just outright giving himself over to the worship of foreign gods his engaging in human sacrifice, the murder of one of his sons, stripping the gold and the silver of the temple and giving that to other kings, defiling the altar and building a pagan shrine in the temple. Quite a resume, King Ahaz, included in Jesus's genealogy. Not just Ahaz, but also Rehoboam, Jeconiah, Manasseh, all are mentioned and included. Manasseh, oh, good King Manasseh. Second Kings, chapter 21. Sorry, I didn't give it to the AV team. But Second Kings 21, verse 9. Listen to this summary. But they did not listen, and Manasseh led them astray to do more evil than the nations had done whom the Lord destroyed before the people of Israel. Or skipping down to verse 16. Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled Jerusalem from one end to another, besides the sin that he had made Judah to sin so that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This is quite the list here of people included in Jesus' line. Wicked kings. And we have to go back, and again, I don't mean offense, but just reality. Some of what's going on here with some of the women mentioned in the list. So, Tamar seduced her father-in-law. That's why she's, that's how biologically she's in there. Um, Rahab is a prostitute in Jericho. The wife of Uriah, who is mentioned here, Bathsheba. Now, this is not to excuse in any way what David did at all. However, she is complicit involved in an affair. Ruth Beautifully and well, the woman should be praised for her love and faithfulness. However, she's a Moabitess. Do you know the origin of the Moabite line, where that came from? The incest between Lot and his daughters. Notorious scandal here. And Jesus is glad. This is Holy Spirit-inspired scripture. This is put forward 
for purpose and intentionality that we would read it and take it to heart and take some things to heart. So for whom has Jesus come? We get a hint of it with the line from whom he came. The outsider, the flawed, and the notorious. That's from whom he came, that's for whom he came. That's from whom he came, that's for whom he came. People like us who have no claim on him, no claim on him whatsoever, but he in his grace has put his claim on us. To take that to heart, to take that seriously, to really consider the significance of who is included in this list, what might that generate within us? In, in, in this deficit of supply in the chain, if you can put it that way, instilling in us awe and wonder, humility, one more thing. If we be included in the, who he's come from and for, if we be included in that, that should make us a people of hope. Having come for the outsider, the flawed, and the notorious, for all, for all. Think of just the, the, the season itself, the sights, the sounds, all of it. The red and the green, the red of the blood shed that we might have the green of life washed clean by one with gold and silver that we might be white. Bells pealing that the news would go forth. Gifts being exchanged as emblems representing, symbolizing expressions of grace that we have received. Celebrations People warmly welcomed in, parties thrown, not just for the nice, but the naughty. Like us. Like us. To the degree we take to heart the significance of Jesus' beginning, my friends, this can make us a people of hope. When we understand who it is that he has come from that can make us a people of awe and wonder. When we take to heart and understand who, why it is he has come, we can become transformed into a people of humility. And to the degree that we understand and take to heart for whom it is that he has come, it can make us a people of hope. Now, that's crazy talk unless we're talking about Jesus. And because we're talking about Jesus, we're talking about the possibility of utter transformation from the inside out. Powerful transformation that can happen right now for any one of us. That's, that's the possibility held forth for us this morning. Transformation, revolution in the heart and lives of individuals. That it's, it's expressed in so many of the songs that we sing, so many of the stories that we tell this time of year. I'm just going to tap into one, one my, probably my favorite one for this season. Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, right? The, the true, well, not quite true, but showing true tall tale 
of Ebenezer Scrooge. There's actually two quotes in your quotes and notes from it. I want to, I want to read to you. So you may know, remember something of old Ebenezer. Uh, his name, his very name you may know, actually literally meant to squeeze Scrooge. And this is a quote from, from Dickens. Oh, but he was a tight-fisted hand at the grindstone. Scrooge, a squeezing, wrenching, grasping, clutching, covetous, old sinner, hard and sharp as flint, from which no steel had ever struck out, generous fire, secret and self-contained, and solitary as an oyster. Oh, my word, such writing. But what happens? So that's where we find the man. That's how we're introduced to the man, right? But what happens? Well, through this miraculous intervention by these three mysterious spirits over the course of one very strange night, a transformation takes hold. Such that by the time you get to the last stave, the last act, the last stanza of the carol, you read this, the next quote. This is Scrooge. I don't know what to do, cried Scrooge. This is that Christmas morning laughing and crying in the same breath and making a perfect lacoon of himself with his stockings. I am as light as a feather. I'm as happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. I'm as giddy as a drunken man. A merry Christmas to everybody. A happy new year to all the world. Hello there. Woo! Hello. The change, the change in the man, the change can be that dramatic. And how can this be? Because this message is that real and it's that powerful. And that message starts with a genealogy, with a list of names, a long list of names that builds up over a significant period of time, telling us something about who it is that's come, why it is that's come, he's come, and for whom he's come. And taking that to heart, taking that to heart can bring profound change, the beginning that we ourselves long for. Let's ask him for it. He's a big God. Let's ask him for some big change. Can we pray? Lord Jesus, would you please first forgive us for taking these lists of names lightly? These were real people with real lives, real stories. And surely you had, even in the span of their lifetimes, deep purposes for them. But we know that even now in our story, in the midst of our lifetime, at this moment, you have deep lessons for us. Who are you? As you came on the scene, we can't help but notice you are not just, this is not just any child. Why have you come? Yes, that we would celebrate, but not for the sake of empty celebration, with celebration that is exploding forth with heart and heat and light. For whom? Not just for the elite, not just for those who have their act together, but for us. And that can transform everything. And we ask that you would transform us with the news of your coming, the long, beautiful story of your coming, 
would you change right now, forever, how we think of it. And this week, with any and everyone we meet, how we speak of it. We pray in your name. Amen.